Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's a feminist podcast. Hello and welcome to Feminism Ruins Everything. We are the feminist podcast where we give critiques to movies, musicals and pop culture phenomena and potentially ruin them. Potentially. Today we want to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on stolen Ghana land. We want to pay our respects to Ghana elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty of this land was never ceded. This always has been and always will be Aboriginal land. Folks, today we are talking about the seminal... 2000 classic high school comedy about cheerleading. You know the one I'm talking about because you've probably read the title of this episode. It's Bring It On. It is. Um, I, I like to think of this, the way that I think of this as the seminal cheerleading work is like the other cheerleading movies that reference Bring It On. <laughs> like there's this movie that I don't know, I watched in high school. I don't think it was very good, but it's called Fight Up. Yeah. And it's like a cheerleading movie as well and they're all cheer camp and everyone is sitting watching bring it on on the big screen and everyone is like quoting out loud the entire <laughs> movie like chanting it um it's very culty it's very funny yeah um so, so yeah you, you th- know that that's when you're the the definitive yeah movie in your subgenre. yeah 100 <laughs> percent um so i reckon this movie came out when i was six in 2000 Um, but I reckon the first time I ever saw it, I was about seven or eight. And, um, I think that my family had gone to another family's house for dinner and like the the kids were off playing in another room or like the parents were like, kids go put on a movie. And me and my brother were like very much the youngest kids out of this cohort of children. And, um, one of the kids was like, oh yeah, we're going to put on, bring it on. And I remember like going to ask my mom for permission to be like, oh, just let you know, like they're, they're putting on a. PG or maybe even potentially M-rated movie like is that okay and my mum like being a bit wary of it and not but being like I don't want you to be excluded from the children and so like seven or eight year old me watching Bring It On being like oh (laughs) like quite quite mature content for a small child oh yeah very Um, much so but ever since have loved this film that that's wonderful my experience with this film is that I watched it yesterday for the first time and somehow, uh, I just like I've just missed it somehow. But I've also missed like knowing what it was. I knew it was about cheerleading, and I knew that they were spirit fingers, <laughs> and that was about it. There are so many like cultural things that come out of this. Spirit fingers, burr. It's cold in here. Yeah. There must be some insert thing here in the atmosphere. I'm pretty sure that my primary school basketball team sang that. Once again, an example of <laughs> a privileged school taking from an underprivileged school yeah. and utilizing it for their own. Mm. And interesting, interesting. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> uh, so even though, I mean, we, we come to this movie from different perspectives, mm-hmm. me having grown up with it, you having just watched it, um, even though this is one of my like childhood staple favorites, 
watched it back yesterday and was like, oh, this is, uh, <laughs> it's got some dicey aspects to it. I, like, I was taken aback uh, by the opening of it. Because yes. again, like, I, I went in mostly blind. I'm like, I know this is about cheerleading. And the first thing that comes up is like all the cheerleaders on the basketball court uh, performing a very quite sexually explicit cheer, making references to the fact that they, you I'm know. I'm sexy. I'm cute. I'm popular to boot. I'm bitchin'. Great hair. The boys I'd like to. St- I'm gonna stop now. Like everything. <laughs> But, like, every other line is about, like, how guys want to touch them and do yeah. things to I swear I'm not them. a whore. Yeah. And I'm just in there going, oh, I did not expect this. Is yeah. this what the rest of the movie is going to be like? I just imagine seven-year-old me watching that and my mom just, like, peering in to be like, how's she doing with the mature <laughs> content? And that being on the screen and my mom being like, what oh. have I done? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, classic. <laughs> But it like it doesn't open well. It, I I would say mm. it, it it like it kind of takes every cliche about cheerleading and how cheerleading is presented in media and kind of shoves it into a two minute dream sequence. Mm. Turns out to be a dream sequence. Yeah. Not sure if that makes it better. Uh, but it's like it, it 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 was it was my first exposure to the movie and I, it caught me off guard and then I was very wary for probably the next 20 minutes until it kind of found its groove. Mm. I think it definitely improves throughout. Yeah. And um, we were talking before we started recording about the fact that I think that the audience goes on the journey and this might have been the intention of the way that they presented it, that early on you see cheerleading as like a bit, I don't know, frivolous, peppy hypersexualized and that's kind of how it's presented early on and then throughout you kind of come to appreciate it for the like hyper athletic elite sport that it is Mm -hmm. and you kind of go on the journey that Torrance wants everyone to come to appreciate that it's not this like frivolous jumping up and down showing off your tits thing it's you know it's an elite sport however (laughs) (laughs) However, all like I, I find the first say 15, 20 minutes of this movie quite hard mm. to get through. Yeah. Um, because I definitely made the majority of my notes early. Yeah. <laughs> and then by the end I was like, okay, I think I think it's becoming less problematic. I, I sort it, of like it certainly I eases into later it. on. <laughs> and I I again like I wonder if that's like a deliberate thing because I guess like cheerleading has a uh, maybe like a stigma surrounding it and kind of like it's associated especially in media especially in like movies set in high school cheerleading is associated with a certain type of of person and it's just kind of like jumping around and not really anything to 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 think about and then as the movie progresses it kind of like shatters those expectations of what cheerleading Mm. actually is and what actually goes into the performance of it and so I wonder, like, I wonder if that's they're deliberately setting it up to subvert those expectations. Mm. But I wonder if it sets it up too much and <laughs> too harshly. Because, yeah, oof, there's yeah. some. We see some very problematic, sexist, homophobic, homophobic 
things happen very early on. Mm. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing that really like caught me off guard and made me feel very uncomfortable by this film is the fact that a lot of it is really around the the sexualization of the cheerleaders, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a lot about the way they look. It's a lot about their personas and their very, um, you know, revealing costumes, etc. And the thing that I was really uncomfortable with throughout was going, these are meant to be high schoolers. Mm. Like, I recognize that the young women who are playing the squad, like, I'm sure quite a few of them were adults, like, definitely on the younger end. Yeah. But, um, like, I'm pretty sure that Kirsten Dunst, I don't know why I'm saying that right. Am I saying that right? Kirsten? Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten. Kirsten. I would say Kirsten Dunst. Um, I think that she was 17 when they started filming, so, like, mm-hmm. she was a minor uh, still a minor yeah and um there were just so many moments where um it was it was either something that was professed by the cheerleaders themselves or was put on them by commentators or external Mm -hmm. uh, people looking in to be like oh yeah cheerleaders are sexy short skirts ha yeah and (laughs) the thing that frustrated me so much was that I have this real cognitive dissonance around um, young women, especially minors, like being viewed and viewing themselves in a sexual context Mm. because I very much believe that every woman, every person, in fact, like who is of the age of consent like should feel very comfortable like expressing their sexuality and feel really comfortable and confident in their sexuality and that if that feels empowering to them that that's something that they should um yeah that they should explore but then I kind of go where's the line between that and having young women who want to do the same thing Mm -hmm. doing that because it's so much more complicated when a you're a minor and b if you're young enough to feel the impact of a society that wants to sexualize you and wants to see you only for your your physical appearance and your sexuality, like when you're a teenager, how much critical thought can you have to go, no, I'm I'm doing this because it feels right for me rather than I'm doing this because I want to appeal to a society-wide male gaze, you know? Mm. And I like sat with that cognitive dissonance throughout the entire film <laughs> being I, like I think that I think that women and girls should be able to feel confident in their sexuality but at the same time it's it's really dicey when there are onlookers who are you know especially in a heteronormative sense like male adults mm. sexualizing teenage girls I think it becomes even dicier when you take into account the fact that most of the actors portraying these characters were adults. They were in their 20s. I think uh, I think Gabriella Union was 26 mm. or 27. I think she might have been like the, the oldest. And so you have a bunch of adults portraying yeah. high schoolers mm. who... And, and and like quite quite frankly, I forgot they were high schoolers because none of them looked like they were high schoolers. Yeah, they all looked like the age that they were, 
And so every now and again, it would flash up with like, they're from whatever high school. And I'm like, oh, yeah, they're high schoolers. But the movie is not framing them as such. They are portraying them as like highly sexualized mm. adults. Yeah. And there were so many moments like the like the car wash scene oh, where yeah. all of the yeah. women are in bikinis and you have like a close up of one of their chests. Mm-hmm before the the love interest kind of looks at their face. Yeah. And I'm like, but she's supposed to be 16 or 17. Yeah. And the fact that... uh, The fact that the um, the line there is... Hang on, I wrote it down, because it made me feel uncomfortable. Oh, I I, I think I wrote it down too. uh, She's making money from guys oogling my goodies. Uh, Yeah. Um, Which, again, in a different context, I would say, own it. Exploit the patriarchy. <laughs> um, go listen to our Chicago episode if you want a full in detail analysis of that. But it's so different when those people are meant to be portraying teenagers and meant to be portraying yeah. minors. And it's it's weird because even like ages of consent and stuff are really arbitrary lines in the sand. Like people mature at different rates, um, emotionally, sexually, physically, etc. Um, but also that line in the sand is there for a reason, even if it is arbitrary. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I especially feel that when you're talking about young women who have grown up being conditioned by a patriarchal society, that it's very, very hard to find the distinction between what you're doing to empower yourself and what you're doing to appeal to what that patriarchal society wants of you which is a hyper sexualization of you and i mean that's still hard to navigate as an adult as well yeah of course i'm not saying that you know you turn 18 and and bam and the dirt is gone (laughs) (laughs) um like that's something that i still struggle with i'm like am i am i wearing this because i feel empowered in it or am i wearing it because i know that other people will like the way that I look and it's it's still something that I mentally mm. struggle with all the time so like at in my in my late 20s so um yeah I just think that it's such a it's such a fine line especially when you're portraying teenagers and I wonder how much like given that I grew up watching this film and I know so many other women did as well mm. um how much watching that just reinforces the fact that especially as a young woman, you're going to be defined by your sexuality and your physicality. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that that's something that is reinforced in this film that is not something that should be reinforced. I also wonder how much of the portrayal of the film comes from the fact that while the script was written by a woman, Mm -hmm. uh, Jessica Bendinger... Shout out to Jessica. um, It was directed by a man, Peyton Reed. And you can see in the script a lot of these moments could be seen as empowering, but with a man behind the camera kind of affecting the male gaze in a lot of sequences. Like, there's an early-on sequence in the locker room and all of the women are just walking Mm. around in their bras. Yeah, probably unnecessary. Very (laughs) unnecessary. And I I get that they're, they're... getting changed or whatever but it was such a blatant kind it to me it felt like a 
we need to get all of our actresses in their bras so that all the boyfriends who were dragged to the cinema mm. by their girlfriends don't complain or leave. <laughs> and it, it just felt gross. Really gross. A particular fact, they're supposed to be teenagers. teenagers. They're yeah. minors. Yeah. And then the car wash sequence. Just the car wash just sequence. Just the car wash sequence. The car wash sequence. But also, it's, it's murky because, like, there's got to be that transitional period where you go, all right, I'm really comfortable in my body, I'm really comfortable in my sexuality, and, like, you're not going to get to that point in adulthood unless you've, like, grown up practising it. And so, yeah, I would, I would love to hear from our listeners about this because I just think it's so, so, it's such a grey area. Yeah. And I would love some other opinions yeah also any like i don't know child psychologists <laughs> i'm trying to think who's like what who's effect qualified does this to have speak on this. I, and i mean let's be frank all of the characters or at least most of the minority characters seem quite hypersexual they they all feel like that they're either talking about sex or having sex or implying that they want to have sex with each other uh, it happens all over the shop. And, like, I get it. Sex is a big deal when yeah. you are in high school. Teenagers are horny. Yeah. But when you have it... Again, when, when the people presenting that idea look like they're 20... Yeah. Like... It's curious. We didn't have any of these qualms about, like, Greece, say. Because none of them looked <laughs> like children. And so it was very clear that we weren't... Like, <laughs> at any point, associating yeah. them with being in high school. Like, Rizzo's like 40. Yeah. It's not a problem. <laughs> you teach here. You teach here and you put on the T-Birds jacket and you try to blend in. Yeah, like when Sonny has the conversation with the teacher and they look like they're the same age. Um, oh. Oh, classic. Um, there was, there's a line at the end of the film. And I, 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 I want to say that the film gets better, I guess. Again, I wonder if they're setting up these expectations... To subvert them as they go. I think that's giving it too much credit, to be I honest. I think it is. I think it is. But the depiction of cheerleading itself goes from this mm. um, hypersexualized titillation kind of thing into athleticism. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. The, the, the finals that they all get to, it's very much, this is an athletic performance. Yeah. However, as they're walking in, the commentator, the very adult male commentator... Mm-hmm says this line in high school i couldn't pay a cheerleader to talk to me and now i'm surrounded by them any sport that combines gymnastics dance and short skirts is okay by me he then goes on to commentate these kids are feeling the pressure highlighting that he knows that the people wearing the short skirts that he is such a fan of mm. are children. That's. I think that's where I'm going to close my commentary on this because it makes me mad and it also confuses my brain. So I'd like to stop talking about this now. <laughs> I I actually just thought of a point that I think is important to to bring up. Point away, my friend. Um. So in probably one of the most iconic scenes of the film is when they hire the choreographer. You watched it for the first time yesterday. How do you know what the most iconic scenes are? Because these aren't spirit fingers. Okay, fair enough. These are spirit fingers. Unless it's an audio medium, no one can see your spirit fingers. But I can attest, they're very good spirit fingers. Thank you. No worries. Thank you. But he comes in 
and immediately starts cutting them down, cutting the children down on their physical appearance. Like saying, one of them, you know, your smile is wrong. You have too much makeup. You're not wearing enough makeup. Your ass is too big. Go on a diet and get your ass to slim down. And I'm like, obviously he is not portrayed as in a sympathetic light no. and we are not supposed to be on his side but how harmful could it be to the audience watching mm, so harmful to to look at these very petite body shapes oh yeah yep being criticized for being too big saying everybody has to go on a diet oh there, there's even a line at the beginning uh where they're doing the one of the pyramids mm. and one of the male cheerleaders holding them up says, do I look like a milkmaid because somebody feels like a cow? And I'm like, all the people you are holding are like sticks. If yeah. they turned on their side, I would lose track of them. <laughs> and for the audience to be hearing that and going, well, I, I am a normal proportioned person, yeah. so I must be huge. Just There's also, um, he also says, and I think it's, terrifying to me he says something to the effect of like um don't eat anything at all because when you don't eat your body like feeds on its fat and your fat shrinks and it eats itself or something ludicrous but to me the problem was that he said that and it sounded like somewhat logical Mm. or somewhat um pseudoscientific yeah. And I feel like to somebody young and impressionable, you would hear that. And even though you know that um, implicitly that going around and attacking people's bodies in the way that he does is not a good thing to do, you hear something like that and you're like, oh, well, I feel uncomfortable in my body because I have grown up in a society where everyone is conditioned to <laughs> feel bad about their physical appearance. Yeah. Um, oh, I'll just not eat anything and my fat will eat itself. And... I just feel like even though it's coming from a character that you know is not meant to be portrayed in a good light, mm-hmm. um, some of the stuff that he spews I think could still have really harmful impacts on impressionable viewers. Yeah. It, mm. I wonder if this is kind of like uh, when we discussed When Harry Met Sally mm. and that no matter what we discussed from now on, if this is the underlying way it's being presented, is is there a way for the film to, to come back from this? Because I do think the film has a lot of positive things to say. Mm. But, but it's not off to a great start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't it doesn't put the best foot forward. No. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You know when else it doesn't put its best foot forward? When it's portraying the relationships between women on the main team. Oh boy! That, that is not a cohesive unit. No. <laughs> I, I can't believe that people that hate each other that much can like perform so well together. Because mm. they do not get along. Like The instant that Torrance is named the new head cheerleader, somebody immediately calls her a slut. Yeah. Just... yeah. There, are, there are sexist slurs thrown between women left right and center everyone's a slut everyone's a whore everyone's a bitch like that's just the go-to and it's women talking about other women it's men talking about women it's just so normalized Mm. in the words of miss norbury in mean girls we've got to stop calling each other bitches and whores Yes, I just quoted Tina Fey, and I'm not mad about it. No, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. <laughs> there were lots of lines of dialogue. Like, if this was one or two lines, I'd be, I, I wouldn't bring it up. But the fact that there were, I, I'm going to say about seven to ten lines mm. that used the formula of, she puts the itch into bitch. <laughs> she she puts, puts the, the whore into horrible. She puts the duh into dumb. Was this a thing that people did in the late 90s, early 2000s? Did I just miss that? Or, or is I, mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I was watching this with Blake yesterday, um, which is a whole... Him reacting to this film is a whole other segment. Um, but he was getting really irritated by that recurring thing. And I was like, that, that didn't seem out of place to me. That <laughs> just felt like a normal way that people talk in in late 90s, early 2000s movies, like, it just seemed normal to me. <laughs> Maybe I'm a basic bitch. <laughs> Sorry about it. It just... Yeah, that... that It just stood out, again, like, may, maybe... Maybe because, you know, I wasn't in cheerleading circles, so I didn't... Yeah. I wasn't ever exposed to it. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. But also, it's not just, like, the sexist things that people throw at one another. There is... There's just casual homophobia everywhere like the number Mm. of times that someone like i'm about to use some homophobic slurs just a heads up i'm quoting dialogue i'm i'm not trying to aim this at queer people um the number of times that people are casually like oh you're a fag oh you're a dyke um or just like said that about somebody else behind their back which Mm. is i lost track the the moment that kind of stood out the most to me is when uh one of the male cheerleaders uh, is questioned about his sexuality in like a a genuine kind of like oh are you are you queer kind of way and he's like yeah 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 I'm queer and the way that no he says I'm controversial I'm controversial but the way that he's asked is uh, when Missy says oh do you speak fag yeah and I'm like oh. And you could see the intent behind it. There was, like, no malice. No. No, no trying to, like, put him down. Just in a kind of, like, I'm learning about my new friends. Yeah. And that was the acceptable way to ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> uh. 
Yeah. The, I mean, I'm all for reclaiming slurs. I am all for reclaiming You're words. a slut for reclaiming I'm slurs. I'm a slut for reclaiming slurs. But I think that that should be up to the person reclaiming it. Like, I think yes. if you are queer and you want to call yourself a fag, like, absolutely go for it. Feel empowered to do so. But, like, yeah. Don't just, have it thrust upon you. Yeah, to just pull it out of nowhere and attach it to somebody without their consent is just dubious, I think. And, like, that was very much of its time. Like, growing up, like, I was in high school in, like, the, like, 2005 to 2009. Um, and the word gay was used as a synonym for shitty all the time. <sighs> and so that was very much of its era. But it is so, so jarring yeah. in this context, to especially. Be, to be honest with you, I would... I would not be surprised if that was still commonplace in high school. I wouldn't be surprised either. Yeah, um, I don't know if I don't know if people in high school listen to podcasts, uh, but <laughs> if, you're, if you're somebody who's in high school, hit us up. Tell us whether or not high schoolers are still using homophobic slurs to be synonymous with things that are not good. Because uh, if so, and also if mm. so, if you're listening to this, you're probably like on board the feminist train, or you hate listening. Whichever way, it's fine. We still get ad revenue. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, call it out. Yeah, me, uh, my friend, uh, my my dear dear friend Alex and I. Um, Hi, Alex. We uh, we we didn't understand why that word was used in that way, so we would start using the word straight as a synonym for <laughs> shitty. Like, oh, that is so straight of you to do that. <laughs> and nobody else got it, and it was just the two of us. And oh, I miss him. My favorite thing, a uh, friend of the podcast, Joshua Perio, <laughs> has informed me that the word naff, which I use frequently to mm. be, you know, synonymous with kitsch, a bit poor taste, a bit gross, um, is like originated as queer slang meaning something that is straight <laughs> and I'm obsessed with it it's so I, good yeah, it's so good I, you, I now use naff more often because I really enjoy <laughs> that it's synonymous with being poor taste because you oh, oh the heads oh uh, we, we let's face it we are poor taste yeah just dictionary definition poor taste see heterosexual <laughs> So we got off topic. Uh, bring it on. <laughs> we also alienated all of our men's rights activists. If we hadn't alienated them before. I reiterate, we're still getting your ad revenue. So please keep listening. <laughs> Speaking of Quizlers, that ties in very well to our next talking point, which is about the rampant toxic masculinity in this film mm -hmm. like holy heck and there are there are two sides of it there's the oh you're a male cheerleader and you're therefore gay and that's a bad thing mm -hmm. um, which is the you know put forward by the jocks and I guess to some degree that is critiqued because the the football players that you see in this film are meant to are not portrayed in a good light. They're portrayed as like really terrible footballers. Mm -hmm. Like everyone cares more about the cheerleaders than they do the football team. And like they're presented as being kind of stupid and non-nuanced and yeah. you don't like them. So it's not like you take that perspective on board and run with it and go, yes, cheer synonymous 
gay, synonymous, mm-hmm. bad. But at the same time, it's not just that perspective. Like, you, you, that crops up everywhere. Yeah, the, the, there's a lot of, like, casualness. Like, Torrance's little brother makes reference to the fact that she has a gay cheerleader boyfriend. Oh, yeah, 100%. And just, like, casually and... Yeah, it, it, it's, it's all over the place. Mm. It is so closely synonymous with with being queer and therefore being bad. Yeah. But the other aspect to the toxic toxic masculinity is the fact that there's also um, the cheerleaders. I think the the character that represents this most, I think his name's Jan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He represents like the, the flip side of that, like the very hyper-sexualized, the very, um, hyper-masculine in the way that it um, is defined by him sexualizing the women around him mm-hmm. and that being where his masculinity and identity comes from. That's kind of the flip side. Like I got that. into cheerleading to score chicks. Yeah. And it's just, it's epitomized to me in that scene where he lifts one of the girls on his team. I think it's Courtney. I think it's Courtney. Um, and like essentially assaults her while she's like being held in the air by him. Like it, it's the way that it's made out is that like he's fingering her while he's like holding her in the air. It's mm. gross, and it's played off as a joke. Yeah, and oh, that was so icky to me. So gross. The fact that that was not remotely critiqued and that was so normalized and that was a punchline. I was like, that's that's disgusting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Real, real gross. And like. The the culmination of that through line of the jocks kind of like calling them gay for being cheerleaders is that they walk past during a practice and they see Jan stretching one of the female cheerleaders in a position that essentially looks like they're having sex. And the jocks are like, oh, maybe cheerleading isn't so bad after all. Mm. And I'm like, that's... That's the culmination That's the of the whole story. Yeah. Like, c- congratulations, your masculinity is intact because it looks like you're scoring. Like, we're, we're still in the same place. Yeah. <laughs> that, nothing has changed. That, <laughs> you know, being a sexual being is the definition of your masculinity. Yeah. Um, which it shouldn't be. Like, masculinity is so much more than that. You also have Torrance's boyfriend who goes off to college and essentially just treats her like a pretty little porcelain doll who can't Mm. do anything, doesn't support her, cheats on her regularly, and is just really condescending the entire time. Oh, he's such a dick. Did you also, when you heard him talk, think that he had the same speaking cadence as Trump? No, I didn't didn't notice that. I was taken aback by that <laughs> it was the drawl and it was mm. the to the superiority and the yeah. i'm so much better than you but also just some of the way that he pronounced some of his words i was like Ew. to me he just looked like a ken doll that had yeah. somehow like come to life and was just like doing things mm. and i, I it, it felt very cathartic when when torrance broke up with it oh yeah that great was, breakup that scene. was a great breakup I, yeah i really like that yeah power and, to her and I, I'm not gonna. He, he, welcome to another installment of Ellis falls for the the male romantic lead <laughs> of the movie, um, because I thought he was adorable. I I was like, in from get go. Yeah. But also there are multiple moments where he is presented as like, objectifying, Torrance specifically, mm. and just like like he comes to the car wash specifically to see her in a bikini kind of mm. thing, and I'm like, 
even even your your nice love interest is still feeding into these toxic ideas in a way that isn't critiqued and just uh but I do love him. Oh, he was so dreamy. Cliff. Bless him. Cliff and his guitar and I was uh, just like I felt seen. <laughs> I think the nice thing about him is that he is the one offering of a man that doesn't subscribe to toxic masculinity in I mean in some ways not others yeah. um like you see that he has a very strong like like musical side and that's lovely and he's like into his literature and he yeah. um he's into his um actually prides himself no uh, I was going to say prides himself on his intellect, and then I was like, no, some men need to do that less. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he prides himself on his individuality, at least. Yeah. Like, he doesn't kind of subscribe to what is cool. He he likes what he likes, and he, he writes a ridiculously wholesome Oh, the song is song. so wholesome. The song is so wholesome. That's a very wholesome sequence, and <sighs> I'm, I'm all on board with it. And it was, it was actually the one moment that I felt that they were teenagers. Mm. It's the one part of the scene where I'm like, yes, you are a kid in high school. In the mixtape. The mixtape is real cute. I want to talk about... Oh, I think in a... You know, in a barren wasteland of not great queer representation and not great representation about healthy, positive masculinity, the one moment that I was like, this is wholesome, I'm so behind this, I'm obsessed with it, is the part at the very end when they're at the cheer comp and the other kind of main male cheerleader, I think his name's Les. Les, yeah. Um, is waiting for this other team to come off the mat and uh, he greets this other guy who's just performed his routine and it's like, hey, I really like that, that lift you're doing. That was amazing. And they have this like beautiful gorgeous, innocent, like, flirtatious moment between the two of them. And it's not a punchline, and it's mm. not um, th- it's not something that he is ridiculed about. It's just, like, this sweet moment of, like, these two sweet men flirting with each other, and it's adorable. It's and very I was adorable. like, at one point where they're like, hey, this is actually a nice representation of queerness. That is the one time. The one the one. Because the, the rest... Does of, not make up for the for the homophobic slurs left, right and centre. Yeah, the rest of the time everyone's just calling Missy a lesbian. Because mm. she is slightly alternative. Yeah. Just... Yeah. No, not about it. <laughs> let's talk about the Clovers. Oh, because let's. Because we haven't brought them up yet. And I think they are probably the most important part of the film. 100%. Uh, and I think the reason we haven't really brought it up at the moment is because... We don't really feel uh, qualified no. to discuss race relations no. in in depth or with any sort of real nuance of having yeah. experienced it because we are we're but very white. So white. I think um, it was my impression, anyway. Um, you know, not having lived experience of racism that I felt like the one part of the movie that was actually handled with a fair bit of nuance Mm. and some, probably not perfect, but like some level of sensitivity was the the racial dynamic between the two teams. 
Um, and where everything else feels like a bit surface level, it actually felt like there were some layers there. You yeah, know? this is the... Um, this is kind of like the, the thing that the film wants to portray. Yeah. And again, uh, I'll preface this by saying I think that we should aim to like seek out um, the perspective of somebody who actually has lived experience as a black person in the world. Um, mm. But from my perspective, there were a couple of takeaways from the racial dynamic side of the film. One being, I think... Uh, whether or not this was kind of driven home, I think one of the takeaways is like, wow, white people just love to go and steal stuff from black culture and then claim it as their own, don't they? <laughs> but for those of you who don't know, it comes out that the routines that um, Torrens's team, the, the Toros, have been using mm. have been stolen from this uh, inner city school uh, in uh, East, East Compton. Compton. Yeah. Um, They've been selling. So, like, for, for the last five years, they've been stealing their routines. And because the East Compton School is less privileged, they haven't been able to to qualify or even go to the the, the competitions. Mm. Therefore, they haven't been discovered. Yeah. Because um, this is, like, a pre-YouTube internet <laughs> age. Um, <laughs> plots that wouldn't exist now. Uh, and so, on one hand, you see Torrance is like, what we have done is wrong we need to stop doing mm. it. And, like, as soon as she kind of, like, realises, she's like, oh, no, 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 like, we are in the wrong. We need to stop what we're doing. We need to stop stealing from, from the Clovers. And then as soon as she kind of puts it to the team, <laughs> they were all like, yeah, but we want to win. And Torrance is like, yeah, we should probably win. And all of the morals kind of go out the window immediately. Mm. And... And then there's a bit of a back and forth as to, like, what do we do? And they eventually do try to find new routines because they don't want to be stealing from them. It kind of feels like some of Torrance's actions is motivated by, like, I want to alleviate my own guilt. Oh, yeah. It's murky. Yeah. I think, I think she does want to do the right thing. Yeah. But she also wants to stop feeling guilty. Yeah, and I think there's an element of, like, her wanting to prove that her team is the best and therefore wanting this other team to participate because she knows that they're really good. Mm -hmm. um, but then I guess it's no act is altruistic, right? Like, there's no such thing as an entirely selfless act. Yeah. But it's kind of like her motivation for wanting them to succeed is that she wants to have an opportunity to go up against them to prove that her team is the best so mm. but i also think uh that turns out to be the way that she demonstrates her genuine respect for them mm. in the end um the, the the leader of the clovers is like we're gonna get to that competition oh because because torrance um learns that the clovers can't afford to mm. get to the finals and then immediately is like i'm gonna get you the money so that you can go and the clover is rejected and saying we don't need your pity we mm. don't want to feel indebted 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 to you <laughs> um we'll find our own way and they do and uh what they say is like if you want 
what what they say is when we get there you better bring it don't you dare feel sorry for us you better do your best and if you genuinely respect us you will try to beat us because we're going to beat you Mm. and by the two captains kind of coming to that understanding of like no pity no nothing i'm going to treat you like the the equal yeah in in the competition that's the best that's what the film posits is the best way to kind of go about it mm. so that everybody feels yeah. right i i suppose and again i would be interested to hear the perspective of um i'd love to hear a black voice on this yeah um but something that I was a bit uh, cynical of was the fact that there's this like poetic justice at the end, right? Where mm-hmm. um, where the Clovers win yeah. the national championship, and um, that's great. Mm-hmm. But it kind of felt like that poetic justice was meant to absolve all of the wrongdoing historically. Yeah, and it felt like a nice little. Oh, we're just going to tie this up, and okay, um, you've won now, so all oh, that's the past in the past. No worries. Like we've given you this one win, so <laughs> that makes up for the fact that we've been like stealing your routines for five years. Kind, kind of like we elected a black president. Racism, racism is, is over. solved. Yeah. yeah, and and it it might come down to the fact that well, I'm I'm sure it's contributed to the fact that I think a lot of the um. A lot of the creative team behind this film were white. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, the fact that it almost is... It seems to be presented that because the Clovers got an opportunity to go and compete in this competition and win it, that that was, like, reparation enough for, for the, <laughs> that, for the that's past... That's wrong- Yeah, exactly. And I think that um, that's reflected in um, a lot of the ways that um, I think white people see as a path to anti-racism is like, oh, here's some, here are some tokenistic mm-hmm. ways in which we're going to give opportunities to marginalised voices and then hope that that's enough. enough. As opposed to transforming the system so mm-hmm. that those voices are able to be heard consistently yeah which i think is something the film does address it showcases the fact that the torres school they are more privileged yeah and they're able to do these things in these uh this east compton school where the entire team is made up of uh people of color don't have these opportunities mm. and the fact that the team who couldn't afford to go to the finals ends up winning is kind of highlighting that the idea of, um, well, not enough talented people auditioned or participated. Yeah. It's It's not about talent. It's about being... What barriers are standing there that you need to break down in order to get them there in the first place, yeah. And those barriers are still very much prevalent today. Yeah. Hi, Rob Guest in Diamond. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something that I do really like about the dynamic between the two teams is that I think the relationship between the two captains is like the one 
example of a respectful, supportive relationship between two women in yeah. this film. I, I really loved the respect that they find for each mm. other and like the healthy aspect of competition. Like yeah. they obviously both wanted to win, but they wanted to do it in a fair manner. Mm. And they if they if they were gonna be beaten, they wanted to be beaten by the best. Yeah. Um and that is so contrasted by the ways that all of the other women treat each other. Oh, except maybe like there's a nice relationship between Torrance and Missy. Like, yeah, that yeah, that, develops that's quite nicely. Nice. But mostly just the the really prevalent bitchiness and oh. undercutting of every mostly like Whitney and Courtney and the team. Yeah. Like their the way that they speak about and treat just about every other woman that they encounter. Mm-hmm. It's it's like they, they felt the need to tear every other woman down. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not a good representation of how women should treat each other. It's really, really not. I just want to quickly highlight uh, something that I watched this with my friend Juanita, uh, and she pointed out that Whitney just exemplified the Asian sassy bitch sidekick trope, Mm. wherein she wasn't, you know, we can't have the Asian character be the alpha bitch. She had to be kind of subservient to another girl. The beta bitch. The beta bitch. Um, and she just wanted to, to, to highlight that. And I think, yeah, it, it also is, is weird that when there's talk of Torrance relinquishing the captaincy of the team, it's not to one of them, it's to both of them. <laughs> as if they can't exist outside of each other. They're a unit. They, they come as a pair. Yeah. Ellis, does bringing on pass the Bechdel test? Yes. Yeah, I think it does. It does. Like lots the, of talking about cheerleading. <laughs> lots of talking about cheerleading. Um, I think I think from from the get go, there's talks about like who is going to be the new cheer captain. Yeah. Who's going to lead the team? Yeah. How big where of a bitch s- is Big Red? Where did you steal these routines from? Yeah. What? <laughs> how how dare you steal our routines? <laughs> uh, what are we going to do about these routines <laughs> <laughs> that we stole? Classic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah a lot of that. There, there's not so much talking about relationships in yeah. this, which is nice. There are romantic subplots yeah. here and there, but but also like yeah. you could get rid of the romantic subplots, and the film would more or less be like pack as much of a punch. Yeah, like, pretty much. The film would pretty much stand. Yeah, you'd just not have the subplot of Torrance breaking up with her douchebag boyfriend. And then getting together with her cute indie boyfriend. Yeah. 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 I really like her growth across the film. I do. I really like her character. She really comes into her own and and stands up for herself Mm. in a lot of good ways. And stands up for what she sees as being right. Yes. And I think that's nice. And, And I think her trajectory is kind of mirrored by the trajectory of the routines that you see. Yeah. They become a lot more athletic and dancey and performing a lot yeah. less. And a lot more original. A lot more original, yeah. which is wonderful. And I think... And, like, she comes into her own mm. as her own original person, and so do her routines. Yes. It's great. Wow. It's, it's like the character, and, yeah, it's great. Mm. Mim, are we going to write... Or ruin, bring it on. 
Okay. Refresher. We have the hypersexualization of high school girls. Yeah. Everywhere. That's a big no-no. And it's just presented as a given. Mm-hmm. Not even the little bit a little bit implicitly critiqued. We have homophobia left, right, and center. Uh, we have women treating each other terribly <laughs> left, yeah. right, and center. There's also, I didn't mention this before, but there's also like a lot of ableism as well. Oh, yeah, the R word gets used a few times. Yeah. And, and just no. Like there are a whole bunch of jokes about the character Carver who gets injured and breaks her leg. Mm. And there, there's just a lot of ableism around that as well. Um, so just slurs that are derogatory towards many minority groups, just everywhere, (laughs) scattered everywhere. Normalized and casual. Yeah. Um, we see a, a gross character getting on a cheerleading team so that he can inappropriately touch the women on his Mm. team who are meant to be like trusting him with like literally their lives. Like if you're going to throw someone up in the air and like, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to be engaging in like dangerous lifts as like one of the characters injures herself gravely because she fell while doing one of these lifts. Yeah. If you're going to lift somebody in a way that is really dangerous, there's a whole lot of, there's a baseline level of implicit trust in that. Yeah. And if you're going to, break that trust by then assaulting them in the process. Messed up. So messed up. Gross. And I guess on the flip side of that, we have a comparatively nuanced racial dynamic between the two teams. And Mm. we see, I guess, a bit more in-depth commentary about the ways in which white people take black culture and claim it as their own without um, respect for the culture that they Mm. are stealing from. So I I think that... I don't think you can come back from all that other stuff. (laughs) I I think, yeah, as as much... And particularly for... This was, what, 2000? Mm. Um, 20 years ago. For a movie that came out 20 years ago, the way it handled the the relationships with race and privilege seemed quite nuanced compared to kind of what was happening at the mm. time but everything else is so normalized and just drags it down and again like we we do not feel like we are the the right people to comment on how the race relations were were handled in this film and even even though it seems like it was good for the time, it probably has not aged as well either. I think it's interesting to note that there is a Bring It On musical, Mm -hmm. which came out in the 2010s-ish. And interestingly, the musical is called Bring It On The Musical and it's about cheerleading, but it has a completely different storyline. Yeah. Like all the characters are different. the, The plot is different. The, the storyline bears no relation to the source material in inverted commas. <laughs> and I wonder whether they looked at the movie and went, we can't in good faith make a musical based on this plotline 
or that represents this because there are so many elements to it that don't hold up by modern standards. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll just call my mate Lynn. I'll just ask Lynn my memorandum. Like, Lynn, what was Hi, happening Lynn. in the writer's room? Just t- tell me all about it. You're not busy, right? No. First name basis. <laughs> Lynn. Lynn Min. Ellis, I think we've got to ruin it. I think... I think we do. And it... I don't know why it feels bad to ruin it, but to me it feels bad that we're ruining it. No, I'm feeling pretty good about it. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I just... Yeah, I can't get past sexualizing teenagers. Yeah. And normalizing that. Yeah. It's so vastly normalized and highlighted. Yeah. As well. It's like a selling point almost for the yep. movie. Uh. But also, I feel like there are a lot of gray areas in this film, and I would love to get some audience perspectives on it. So chime in, audience. Uh, listeners, if you would like to get in contact with us and tell us your thoughts on bringing on the movie, mm-hmm. the first one, not any of the multiple sequels. Well, like five um, or six, all yeah. straight to, to video. <laughs> Ellis is going to tell you how you can get in touch with us. Well, you could send a message. Send, send a message by finding <laughs> us on Facebook. That's my favorite one. <laughs> Find us on Facebook. We are Feminism Ruins Everything Dash. It's, it's a, a feminist, feminist podcast. podcast. You can find us on Instagram. Yeah. At Feminism Ruins Everything Pod. Pod. Or if you uh, like what we're doing and would like to support us financially, please check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Feminism Ruins Everything Pod. If you donate $10 a month, you get to pick... Yeah. Uh, the topic of an episode and we'll work it out with you and it'll be lots of fun and really great so thank you all very much for your support you're awesome have a great weekend take care everybody see you next week bye feminism ruins everything mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.